If you enjoy our content and think this is important material, the best compliment you can pay is by sharing this with your friends and family. This helps us out a lot. Also, if you enjoyed today's program, please like, comment, share, and subscribe to this podcast. We would love to hear from you. Truth in My Days podcast is sponsored by the Truth in My Days ministry. Welcome to the Truth in My Days podcast, where we defend the Word of God against the challenges of men. Hear the Word of the Lord from the Gospel according to Matthew, chapter 18, verses 21 to 35. Gospel according to Matthew, chapter 18, 21 to 35. Then Peter came to him and said, Lord, how often shall my brother sin against me and I forgive him? Up to seven times? Jesus said to him, I do not say to you up to seven times, but up to seventy times seven. Therefore the kingdom of heaven is like a certain king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. And when he had begun to settle accounts, one was brought to him who owed him ten thousand talents. But as he was not able to pay, his master commanded that he be sold with his wife and children and all that he had, and that payment be made. The servant therefore fell down before him, saying, Master, have patience with me, and I will pay you all. Then the master of that servant was moved with compassion, released him, and forgave him the debt. But that servant went out and found one of his fellow servants, who owed him a hundred denarii, And he laid hands on him and took him by the throat, saying, Pay me what you owe. So his fellow servant fell down at his feet and begged him, saying, Have patience with me, and I will pay you all. But he would not, but went and threw him into prison till he should pay the debt. So when his fellow servants saw what had been done, they were very grieved, and came and told their master all that had been done. Then his master, after he had called him, said to him, You wicked servant. I forgave you all that debt because you begged me. Should you not also have had compassion on your fellow servants, just as I had pity on you? And his master was angry and delivered him to the torturers until he should pay all that was due to him. So my heavenly Father also will do to you if each of you from his heart does not forgive his brother. I heard this story a while ago about fellow who was swarmed in one of our subway stations. A gang of thugs set upon him and beat him quite badly. Now up to that point, this was unfortunately not a very unusual story. The part that made it unusual was this fellow publicly proclaimed that he was a Christian, and so he forgives his attackers and does not want to press charges against them. Now, there was quite a severe public reaction to this story. Some of the people were impressed. Some of them were taken by this example of mercy and forgiveness. They thought this fellow was was showing real character here. But others, the majority of people, seemed angry. They were actually angry at this fellow for forgiving. They said it was stupid, irresponsible and they insisted that he should have pressed charges. Now, perhaps this emotional reaction is not all that surprising. 
After all, forgiveness is not natural. It doesn't come naturally to us. What comes naturally is the urge to get even. If someone hurts you, you want to hurt him back. We just don't like to turn the other cheek. We tend to live by maxims like, I don't get mad, I get even. Or, revenge is sweet and it's non-fattening. It goes to the point that for some people, any slight, any smallest perceived insult can lead to retaliation. I remember my brother, who was a teacher, telling me of one incident in a schoolyard where they were this close to having a mob fight. Why? Because one guy almost stepped on another guy's new shoes. Almost stepped on them. And that required retaliation. Now, why do we feel that way? Why do we want to strike back when we're wrong? Some people would suggest that that's a noble impulse. It's that we have a sense of justice, you see. And when someone hurts us, that's an offense against our sense of justice. We want to see justice done. Well, at best, it's a very perverted sense of justice. We don't have the same reaction if someone else is hurt. If it's really an issue of justice, it should be equal whether the slightest to us or to somebody else, but it isn't. Always personal. If it was a sense of justice, we would want to make the punishment fit the crime, but we don't. We usually want to give back more than we got. That goes all the way back to Lamech in Genesis chapter 4, where he announces to his wives, I have killed a man for wounding me, even a young man for hurting me. If Cain shall be avenged sevenfold, then Lamech seventy-sevenfold. Lamech was wounded, he responded by killing we tend to want to give back more than we are. It got so bad that if you're familiar with the, the principle of justice in the Old Testament law, where we're told an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. And today we misinterpret that. We think that that's cruel. We think that it's calling for retaliation and retribution. That's not what it was doing. It was limiting retaliation. Because the standard of those days, if somebody takes my eye, I take his life. And what the law was doing was limiting vengeance. It was saying that the punishment must be fitting to the crime. It cannot exceed. That standard, which may seem cool to us, was put there to restrain the vengeance of the people. So the question for us is, what do we do when we're wrong? Do we get mad, get even, or what? Or, like that swarmed man, do we forgive? On Matthew 18, 21, Peter asks Jesus about forgiving his fellow Christians sin against him. Lord, how often shall my brother sin against me and I forgive him? He asks, and understand that brother means fellow Christian. Jesus responds with a parable about the absolute necessity of forgiving your brother. We see the same idea in Ephesians 4, 30-32. Let all bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice, and be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, even as God in Christ forgave you. Now, this may all seem straightforward, but there are still many questions about forgiveness. What exactly does forgiveness entail? Who forgives? How? 
if a person is forgiven, does that mean there are no temporal consequences left to his uh, sin, no punishment in his life? If we forgive, must we also forget? If a person is forgiven, does he automatically get restored to a position of full trust? And what about forgiving non-Christians? Still a lot of questions. And it is a very important issue for the church. Now, the examples we cited already are rather spectacular, swarming and wounding and killing, big offense. But what's far more common, far more common particularly in church, are the little the offense, personal insults, offenses against pride. You know, he insulted me. She was rude. He criticized the way I run this church. She suggested I'm doing something wrong. He didn't me, man. It's little things. It leads to grudges. And when grudges are held, relationships become poisoned. Brother is set against brother. Christians become bitter. The lack of forgiveness hurts and can even destroy entire churches. Probably more churches have split over this sort of thing than over doctrinal issues. We see why it is crucial to examine what the Bible says about this. Now, forgiveness is a key theme of the Bible. It runs throughout the Bible. The Bible begins with us offending against the Holy God and needing forgiveness. And the very gospel is that God provided for us that forgiveness we need. Now, in one sense, all sin is ultimately against God. When we wrong our fellow man, we are actually sinning against God. He, after all, is the ultimate standard of right and wrong. Any act that is wrong is wrong because God says so. So any offense is a violation of his standard, and therefore it is against him. And that is why David in Psalm 51, verse 4, who had grievously wronged Uriah the Hittite, in his repentance he can say to God, Against you, you only have I sinned and done this evil in your sight. Now if sin is against God, then only God can forgive. Even the Pharisees did. When Jesus said to that paralytic, Your sins are forgiven you, the Pharisees replied, Why does this man speak blasphemies like this? Who can forgive sins but God alone? Mark 7. And Jesus, in his response, does not contradict them. He does not say, no, no, you're wrong. I can do it. He shows himself to be God. He gives a visible manifestation of his power and his authority. In the ultimate sense, only God can forgive sins. And God offers forgiveness for all. Through faith in his Son alone who died on the cross to purchase forgiveness for us. It is available to all. You just have faith. But we do have to take it. We have to go to him in repentance if we want forgiveness. It doesn't come automatically. For those who do go to him in repentance, all the eternal consequences of sin are gone. We pass from death to life. We inherit eternal life. We have life and have it more abundantly. We are reconciled to God. We will be in heaven in fellowship with God forever. But what about the temporal consequences? Usually you still have to live with the consequences of your actions. Going back to the case of Uriah, David was forgiven by God. 
but there were consequences, particularly within his family life from then on. Thus says the Lord, Behold, I will raise up adversity against you from your own house. David had trouble for the rest of his life because of what he did. Not necessarily because God actively caused it or was vindictive, but in a sense it was natural consequence. You remember the trouble he gets into with Absalom, who eventually rebels against him, tries to take over his kingdom and kill his own father. And it started because Absalom got into the sort of sexual sins and violence sins that David himself had done. And you can just imagine the difficulty David would have had trying to put a clamp on that. His moral authority was probably very much diminished in Absalom's eyes because of what David himself had done. You know, I remember saying, no, no, Absalom, you should silence, you should sin. And what's Absalom going to say back to him? You're the one to talk. Consequences just don't, even when we're forgiven. If you have missed any episodes and would like to listen to them, they will all be available on our YouTube channel and on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and Google Podcasts. You can find the links to these on our website, truthinmydays.com, or you can look for Truth In My Days on YouTube as one word. So that's how God deals with sin again. But what about offenses between people? How should Christians react? Well, the parable of the unforgiving servant makes it abundantly clear that what is required when fellow Christians sin against you. In the parable, the unforgiving servant paid a very heavy price because he wouldn't forgive the one who owed him, even though his own master, to whom the unforgiving servant had owed so much more, forgave him. He lost that forgiveness as a result of his own unforgiving attitude. And Jesus adds at the end of the parable, So my heavenly Father also will do to you, if each of you from his heart does not forgive his brother his trespass. And we see the same idea in Matthew chapter 6, verses 14 to 15. For if you forgive men their trespasses, says Jesus, your heavenly Father will also forgive you, but if you do not forgive men their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. Maybe this scares you. Or if it doesn't, maybe it should scare you. Think about when fellow Christians have hurt you or offended you, and you didn't want to forgive them. You wanted to hold a grudge, harbor the bitterness in your heart, maybe wanting to get even. Understand this, according to the parable, this may cost do you really love that grudge so much? Is it really worthwhile to hold on to that bitterness at this potential cost? If not, you had better forgive. Now you may ask, how does this fit in with the doctrine of salvation by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone? After all, the Bible is very clear that whoever puts his faith in Jesus will be saved. Our sins have already been purged by Jesus, and we are new creatures. So in what way will God not forgive our trespasses? It doesn't seem that we can lose our eternal salvation over it. So in what way does Jesus not forgive our trespasses? I can think of three possibilities here. You may have others. The first is this. What is in view here is forgiveness of temporal consequences. And that is supported by the fact that 
trespasses Jesus speaks of in Matthew 6 are in Greek parapomatos, trespasses, not hamartia, sins. So something else is in you here. In other words, if you sin and are forgiven, you may still face temporal consequences, as we said. But maybe God will take some of them, or all of them away. Maybe he will ameliorate that situation for you. However, if you are unforgiving, then he won't. Then you will bear the full cost. Second possibility is maybe it's your reward in heaven that is in you. When you serve God, you are storing up treasure in heaven. Now we are still not perfect. We do sin, but that doesn't necessarily affect our treasure in heaven as God forgives those sins. But again, perhaps if you are unforgiving, God will be unforgiving towards you so that every time you sin, you lose some of that. The third possibility is that this is a warning that if you have an unforgiving heart and attitude, your heart will become hardened more and more hardened until you do fall away from your faith and do and So maybe we can't be sure what is meant by neither will your father forgive you your trespasses, but we can be sure it's serious business. You don't want to be in that boat. God has forgiven you much more at infinitely higher price than you are ever called. The least you can do in response forgive others. God commands Next, how do we forgive? That's the tricky question. How do we forgive? Well, perhaps we can note that there are two Greek words, both of them meaning let go. It is to renounce all claim to the one who has wronged you, all claim upon him, all claim for restitution, for revenge, for getting even. It means to stop holding the grudge, stop being bitter about it. Yes, it happened. Yes, it was bad. Forgiveness doesn't downplay the seriousness of the offense. But as much as he owes me because of it, I let it go. I will not lay claim to it. I no longer hold him to account for it. I will not seek to get even. And this is what we need to do every time we are wronged. And if we think that's difficult, if we have trouble doing that, if we think just saying the word doesn't really do much, remember that God will help us to do it if we choose. We choose to honor him, making the right choice to forgive. He will help us to let it go. And you will eventually find it's not really all that tough after all. If you don't do it, if you hold on to that bitterness inside, believe me, it will end up hurting you far more than it hurts you. But forgiving a trespass doesn't mean that the temporal consequences are gone. Consider, for example, a minister caught in adultery. He may be forgiven, but he's still no longer qualified to be a minister. Being a minister is a privilege, not a right. First Timothy 3 and Titus 1 spell out the requirements. And when these are violated, he's no longer qualified. There's still temporal consequences. In the case of that swarming, the assault that was perpetrated, I would think the guy should report and press charge. If he doesn't, they are learning that sin is not important. They can do evil and get away with it. 
Furthermore, if they get away with it once, they may do it against someone else, and maybe this time they'll go a little further and somebody will get tripled or killed. We do have a duty to protect society. And we do not want to send a message that sin is unimportant. It's just a trivial thing that can be sloughed off. Now, the Bible gives us guidelines about forgiving our fellow Christians. You turn in the Gospel according to Luke, chapter 17, verses 3 to 4. Luke 17, 3 to 4. Read this. Take heed to yourself. If your brother sins against you, rebuke him. And if he repents, forgive him. And if he sins against you seven times in a day, and seven times in a day returns to you saying, I repent, shall forgive him. Matthew 18, 15 to 17. Here we read this. Moreover, if your brother sins against you, go and tell him it's false between you and him alone. If he hears you, you have gained your brother. But if he will not hear, take with you one or two more, that by the mouth of two or three witnesses every word may be established. And if he refuses to hear them, tell it to the church. But if he refuses even to hear the church, let him be to you like a heathen and a tax collector. And as well, First Corinthians chapter 6, verses 1 and 2, and verses 5 to 7. 1 Corinthians 6, 1 and 2, and 5 to 7. Dare any of you, having a matter against another, go to law before the unrighteous and not before the saints? Do you not know that the saints will judge the world? And if the world will be judged by you, are you unworthy to judge the smallest matters? Is it so that there is not a wise man among you, not even one who will be able to judge between his brethren? But brother goes to law against brother, and that before unbelievers. Now therefore it is already an utter failure for you that you go to law against one another. Why do you not rather accept wrong? Why do you not rather let yourself be cheated? Now from these passages, we can adduce several points about forgiveness. One is this, the wrong person is the one to forgive. That should be obvious. And yet we have to mention it because today there's a strong tendency to apologize on behalf of others and to forgive on behalf of others. You cannot forgive on behalf of others. There was a case a few years back where a student went into a school prayer meeting in West Paducah, Kentucky and gunned down several of the people. It was a terrible crime. A day later, other Christians in a school put up a sign saying, We forgive you about the shooter. A certain Jewish writer was writing about this, and he was very disturbed. He wrote in his piece that he thought that the Christians in America, the evangelical Christians, would be the salvation of the nation. He said, Because these are the only people left in the country who understand that there's such a thing as right and wrong. They're the ones defending moral values. And he said, when he saw this sign, it really distressed him. It depressed him, he said, because you can't do that. You cannot just glibly forgive on behalf of others. And when Christians forget that, he said, he has very little hope left in the Is the one who is wrong who is to forgive. Second point, as we've said, with fellow Christians, we are 
fire the Christian. Not an option. It's not that clear with John because these parables are speaking about Christians offending. Not clear what to do with non-Christians, not entirely, but I'd hardly recommend that with all cases. In the same way, it's better to be safe. Sorry. A third point. We see it in the parable. We saw it in the reading from Luke. Is that repentance seems to be a requirement for forgiveness. Even in this parable, the unforgiving servant begs for mercy before the king pardons him. Without that, he would have received the full weight of punishment. And the king even says to him, I forgave you all that debt because you begged me. And the second servant also begs the first for mercy. No, God always stands ready to forgive, but we must seek it. We must ask for it. We must repent. God does not forgive everyone. He does not forgive those who do not repent. In fact, some scholars say that this is intrinsic to the definition of forgiveness. Forgiveness, they define as letting go in response to repentance. Which means if the offender repents, we must forgive. If he does not repent, in our hearts we should still let go of the bitterness, not hold it first. But forgiveness does not seem to be possible without repentance. The fourth point that comes out of these readings is that forgiveness does not mean that legitimate problems need to be ignored. The church is not supposed to be in the business of allowing people to use this issue to get away with doing evil and continuing to do evil. See, some Christians seem to feel that forgiveness and discipline are mutually exclusive. But as a body of believers, we are to live according to God's standards. And if someone in the church is doing wrong, the wrong person should seek to, to settle that. As you see in Matthew 18, 15 to 17, if the offending party is obstreperous, he is not showing repentance, the church has to deal with it according to the biblical standards of church discipline. It is meant to be restorative and redemptive, not punitive. But sin cannot be allowed to fester in the body of Christ. Even in this case, within our hearts, we have to let it go and do not continue to hold grudges. But we do have to discipline cannot ignore sin in our midst. And the fifth and final point is the Christian has no option to go to law the fellow Christian. At the end of the day, there is no other recourse but legal, then you should allow yourself to be wrong. Doing Christians is just not enough. So then, forgiveness is what God requires. It may not be easy, but the cost of not doing it is just high. So what do we do if someone offends? We do mad, even, or what? The answer is forgiveness. You have grudges against anyone, particularly against fellow believers now, I forgive. I leave you with the words of Colossians 3, verses 12 to 13. Therefore, as the elect of God, holy and beloved, put on tender mercy, kindness, humility, meekness, long-suffering, bearing with one another and forgiving one another, if anyone has against another, even as Christ forgave you, 
so you also must. Thank you for listening to the Truth in My Days podcast with John Torse. If you like our content, please share this information with family and friends. It helps us a lot. We also would love to hear from you. You can reach us on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube by searching Truth in My Days as one word again. Truth in My Days as one word. No spaces in between. Or reach us by email at info at truthinmydays.com. You may also visit our website for more comprehensive material and to learn more about our ministry. Our website is truthinmydays.com. Thank you. Thank you.